Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and this platform is dedicated to sharing the stories of language professionals, that is, the interpreters and translators from around the world. This show aims to highlight not just the profession, but mainly the people behind the amazing work. These are your stories about our profession, and this is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and I want to thank you for choosing to join me today. One of my favorite things to acknowledge about the podcast following is that you could be listening to anything else, but instead you're choosing to listen to this content. So thank you really for being here for showing up and for supporting me and simply choosing to listen to this podcast. I also would like to acknowledge that the numbers of listenership and downloads for the podcast have gone up. And so that's incredible news for me because it lets me know that you are enjoying the content. And that just is amazing because it makes it all worthwhile. So I hope that if you are enjoying the content and this podcast, that you also consider giving it a review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Amazon Music, on Audible. I mean, you've got choices and uh, giving it a positive review so that the analytics could do its thing and people can easily find it, especially those interpreters out there that are seeking to hear the stories of others to guide them in their journey, perhaps. It is November, folks, and that means that there are only a few more episodes left of this season, of this calendar year of the podcast. We'll be dropping a brand new season in January of 2023, but not to diminish the spotlight of the episodes that are still to come out. Amazing guests, amazing stories, of course. So I hope you tune in till the end with us. Okay, and lastly, if you've not already signed up to the Brandy Interpreter podcast mailing list, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and head on over to the website, triple W. Do I still have to say that, by the way? www. Brandtheinterpreter.com and hit on that mailing list, add me to the mailing list button so that your name and email can be added and you're able to get reminders of podcast related news. I don't bombard you with too much information only when we release a new episode and any other information that's related to maybe workshops that I'm doing or if I'm uh, speaking at any events or even just the live YouTubes that hello, where have you guys been on those that I'm bringing back uh, past guests to be able to ask them uh, those very specific questions that maybe were left lingering from their previous episodes. So head on over to the website, join the email list so that you can get these reminders directly to your inbox. Okay, and now on with the show. After boarding a plane on a one-way ticket to Barcelona in 2011 to live with the host family she had never met, Dominique's life changed forever when she spent a year becoming fluent in Spanish. Since then, her quest for Spanish has taken her to live in places like Madrid and Mexico City, where she immersed herself in the culture and dove even deeper into language learning. 
Dominique's unique take on how to learn Spanish as an adult has inspired many to jump into language learning. She has helped hundreds of her students build confidence in communicating with their families, having authentic connections with locals on their travels, and simply living the language. Dominique reminds us that it's never too late to learn a language. So, without further ado, please help me welcome Dominique Cordero to the show. Dominique, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's quite a pleasure. And I'm happy to share your story on this platform here, which might be a little different than our usual conversations, but nevertheless still connected, which is what I love about uh, sharing stories that have to do with our profession, that a lot of these uh, special episodes do carry a backstory and there is a connection always to uh, the platform itself and our theme here for this podcast. So how about we get started, shall we? Absolutely. Let's begin first by uh, getting to know you, Dominique, a little bit more. And so if you wouldn't mind sharing with us where you grew up and perhaps what a fond childhood memory is that you have of where you grew up. Absolutely. So I was originally born outside of Chicago in Evanston. So I still have a lot of family outside of Chicago as well as in Wisconsin. But when I was three, my parents uh, packed up the van and moved me and my brother to Sacramento, California, which is where I spent age three up through college uh, living in the suburbs of Sacramento. Um, and I had a um, a really wonderful childhood. My parents worked very hard. Uh, I remember my mother getting accepted into UC Berkeley as a transfer student when I was in the second grade. And we lived in family housing in Berkeley. And I still remember watching my mom go through college and attending her her night classes with her. And that was really impactful for me. Um, During that time, my father stayed in Sacramento uh, to keep his full-time job. And he supported the family for those two years while my mother was uh, getting her degree Um, and so I, I really saw this great balance between my parents and supporting each other and working really hard and they had high expectations for me as well. Um, but I also feel like I needed to, um, you know, really, uh, show them that, um, I had learned from them and that I wanted to work hard as well. Um, and, uh, spent high school in a, a normal suburban, uh, city, Uh, outside of Sacramento and went to UC Davis, actually, University of California, Davis, uh, right out of high school. So I was one of those kids who finished in in four years. <laughs> That's amazing. What a yeah. great memory, too. I, I love that so much that you're the first thing that comes to mind is Um, you know, mom's acceptance, which is huge, I'm sure, uh, in her story, right, in her narrative, uh, as well as in yours. I think that that's beautiful thing to pass on uh, in terms of our children and being able to have them remember something about us, because that I I feel like that really creates somewhat of the expectation, perhaps for yourself, even at some point, which leads me to my next question for you is, were you already aspiring something for when you grew up? Were you thinking about something in terms of seeing your mom going through college and, you know, getting accepted and 
perhaps even the excitement behind all of that. Were you thinking eventually where you wanted to go professionally? Well, I always knew I was going to go to college. That was never a question. Um, To be honest, I was always very athletic in high school. So my dream was to be in the WNBA and to play basketball, to be honest. (laughs) And I really looked up to the women in the WNBA. Um, We used to have uh, a WNBA basketball team in Sacramento called the Monarchs. And I remember going to their games with my dad and just thinking, you know, I'm going to be a girl that's different. I'm going to do something different with my life and I'm going to be strong and independent. And I really looked up to those women because they were doing something really different. Right. And, and a lot of them had families and still carried on their basketball careers. Obviously that didn't really pan out for me uh, with my basketball career, which ended basically at the end of high school, but that's what I wanted to be was a basketball player. What do you think changed between high school and then your experience at UC Davis that that kind of changed that? I think um, I realized that playing basketball was probably not a great long-term career goal and that it had sort of a a short lifespan. I started thinking more long-term. What am I going to do when I'm 40 and 50 and 60? Can I play basketball the rest of my life? So those more adult questions started entering my mind. Uh, so I feel like I grew up uh, a bit. and um, But I've always been a dreamer like that. Big dreams, big goals. So what did your dream change into once you started your, your college career? So in my early 20s, uh, I started dancing salsa on a whim. I saw it being danced at a local festival. And I told my mother, what is that? I want to do that, whatever that is. And she says, I think it's salsa dancing. And uh, so my mother started going out with me to the local salsa clubs in Sacramento, and we would take the group lesson together. And from there, I just kind of blossomed on my own, started making friends. And uh, what we say, you know, became, became obsessed with, with salsa, started going out five days a week, uh, and learning really fast. And really that exposure to salsa dancing opened up a whole new world for me. I realized that something was really lit up inside of me and it made me reconnect with, um, a side of my heritage that I didn't know much about, which was the Puerto Rican side of me. My mother's, uh, father is Puerto Rican uh, born in Puerto Rico, grew up in in New York, actually. Um, and I always knew I was Puerto Rican, but I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. My grandfather did not speak Spanish to my mother um, or her sisters. So, but here I was dancing salsa and it was like I was a different person and I really felt fire running through my veins and I had to explore it deeper. I just had to explore it deeper. I love that. Yeah. And I remember singing all the songs out loud, all the Mark Anthony songs out loud. Uh, I memorized them, but I didn't know what I was singing. And I realized, (laughs) you know what, what's missing here, what the disconnect is, is the language. I'm really missing the language. And 
by that point, I had already graduated college, but I feel like if I would have found salsa before that, I probably would have majored in linguistics because I have a real deep interest in linguistics. Um, but uh, so after college, I uh, decided I'm going to go live abroad and, and learn Spanish. Well, how does a young girl out of college who, who can't do a study abroad program, how does she do that? How does she support herself? And I Googled a few things and found out, oh, I could be a nanny. I can be an au pair and I could live with a family and have my housing expenses and my food and everything covered. And I can attend Spanish classes uh, for a year. So that's what I decided I was going to do. I was 23 and I went online to opairworld.com, which is basically a match.com for families and au pairs. And I made a profile. I decided Spain was going to be my country because I really wanted to go to Europe. And within three days, I had a list of maybe five families in and around Spain wanting me to come be their au pair. And I said, this is great. Uh, I found one family that really I felt really um, connected to, uh, and within a couple weeks, I had accepted their offer. I was applying for my visa, uh, doing everything I needed to do to save money, and in about three months from there, I had bought a one-way ticket to Spain. I sold my car, I quit my job, and I moved to Spain to live with a host family I had never met and learn Spanish for a year. Wow. <laughs> wow. That, I mean, there's so many points here in terms of what it takes um, to, to just make such a decision, let alone actually, you know, make it happen. What were your parents saying when you were sharing all this? Were, were they surprised? What were we to say the least? <laughs> I don't think they were very surprised. I I have always been a pretty adventurous. Uh, I've always had a very adventurous spirit, so I don't think that they were surprised. <laughs> and they've always pushed me to reach for the stars. They've always encouraged me to go do big things that they had sacrificed so that I could go be a child, be be young, explore. They had sacrificed for me to do that. So they were very much supportive of it, but I definitely had my skin in the game. I definitely remember working three different part-time jobs that summer to save up as much money as I could before I, before I left. But definitely during that year in, in Barcelona, which is where I ended up moving, you know, they were there if I, if I ever needed uh, help financially or things like that, but definitely not supporting me just there as kind of a net. Yeah. Um, supporting me financially. I mean, um, definitely supporting me emotionally, of course. Um, but, uh, another comment I forgot to mention during childhood, I spent my summers on my grandparents' farm in Wisconsin. So my parents would ship me and my brother out to grandma and grandpa's farm for about a month or so every summer. And I was flying on airplanes uh, by myself since I was five. And I was never scared. I never cried. I seemed very nonchalant about the whole thing. 
Um, and so from a very young age, I've, I've always, uh, been very independent in that way. So, <laughs> I mean, that makes a big difference. Yes, certainly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> certainly. So that's why you were thinking already, you know, in terms of this is so natural. I'm just going to fly over there. So yeah. you get to Barcelona. What's the first thing that just, you know, stands out completely if culture shock or whatever it may be for you? Yeah, absolute culture shock. I don't think I had any expectations going in. Um, and the biggest culture shock was, was the language. You know, I had taken Spanish in high school and a little bit in college, but my speaking level, my ability to use the language uh, was so low. Uh, I thought I, would, I was going to Spain with a bit of, bit of a leg up with my language. And I quickly realized that my abilities were were very low. And I remember the first couple of weeks being put in some very uncomfortable situations where I couldn't communicate. And it was the first time in my life having that experience of not being able to communicate with other people. Mm. And at 23, that was shocking for me, you know, a, a normal girl from the States and having her first exposure to, to uh, not being able to, to communicate with others, which, yeah, I remember that being, being a huge shock. You went in as a nanny, correct? Correct. Okay. What's the official title again? An au pair. An au pair. So you go Mm -hmm. in as an au pair. Do the children speak English? So luckily I had a wonderful family, uh, that I was, that was hosting me and they had had au pairs, uh, for about five years at that point. So they had had three or four different au pairs come through all American. And so the girls, uh, who were four and six at the time, their English was very good, but they also spoke, uh, obviously Castellano or or Castilian Spanish. But then I realized in Barcelona, there's a third language it's called Catalan. And I was in a small Catalan village, basically, where I was living in in the outskirts of Barcelona. So all of a sudden I was hearing three languages and I was trying to learn one. (laughs) So luckily the parents spoke multiple languages. So they were always very welcoming and helped me eat, helped me ease into that, into that process. Um, Share a story of when you were in, you know, just in this, in a situation where you know, language, you, you knew this was going to be very much more difficult than maybe perhaps you imagined. Absolutely. I remember meeting all the neighbors in the village and I remember spending time after school in the local park that they had there. And interacting with the moms there a lot. And I couldn't answer basic questions like, how old are you? ¿Cuántos años tienes? I would say things like, you know, I am 13 instead of I'm 23. So even basic conversation I was struggling with and my comprehension was so low. I also remember sitting next to uh, abuelas, like grandmas in the park. And they spoke very little Spanish. They spoke very little Castellano. 
and they were speaking to me in Catalan. And so I just felt totally lost that first month for sure. Just being in that little village uh, amongst Cava vineyards in the outskirts of Barcelona. What other things aside, I mean, because you're, you're at this point, you're coming from Sacramento, California to a little village, right? Uh, this is how somewhat the transition is made. What were things that you were experiencing that you could only experience in a small village in out in Barcelona? Mm -hmm. So I remember that the local grocery store, which was very small, had very specific hours. So they always closed in the middle of the day for their comida for to eat lunch. So if you didn't get to the grocery store by one o'clock, they didn't open again until four. So there was a three hour break in the middle of the day that the owners just went home <laughs> and enjoyed time with, with their families. Right. I also remember that the only school in the entire village was through these cobblestone streets and around the corner, I would walk the girls to school and it was the smallest school I'd ever seen. And this kind of felt like a medieval village. And I was thinking, where am I? <laughs> where am I? Uh, so those are some, some memories I have, have of the village. Uh, I also remember that the family had a spare car for the au pair to use. And I said, great, I've been, I can drive. I, I, I would love to use the car. And we get to the car and it's a stick shift. It's a manual car. And I didn't know how to drive a manual car. So my adoptive, my host father uh, took me out into the Cava vineyards and he taught me to drive that car. And that poor man, he had so much patience <laughs> teaching me in in his in his English slash Castellano how to how to drive a, a manual car, but I, I did end up getting it in the end. <laughs> Thank goodness, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome. Now let's talk a little bit about what ends up happening after some time. How much time did you spend in Barcelona? So in total, I spent a year there. And although I was working as an au pair at that time, in order to be an au pair in Spain as an American, you had to be on a student visa. So in order to be on a student visa, I needed to enroll in 20 hours of education language classes every week for an entire year. And I had to prepay the entire year to even get my visa. So mm -hmm. I didn't really have a plan for how I was going to learn Spanish. I knew I was going to take some classes, but that really forced me to prepay for my education <laughs> for that year. And that was the best thing I could have done because it really gave me structure uh, every week. Um, I would drop the girls off at school and I would take the train, the 45-minute train into Barcelona, which my school was on Las Ramblas, which is the main street in, in Barcelona. So it was in a very busy touristic area of Barcelona. And so every day I was making that commute and I would do four hours of Spanish every day for an entire year. And I had no money at the time. I had no friends there really. So I just said, this is my job. 
My job is to go to school. My job is to learn this language and to go home fluent and to take care of these girls, right? So I just made it my full-time job for that year and took it very seriously. I remember students in my class from other countries who would skip class to go to the beach or they just weren't interested in learning. And sometimes I was the only student who showed up to class on Fridays. Wow. So I would get one-on-one lessons from my teacher and I'm I'm made some really wonderful bonds with my teacher just just because of my dedication uh, to my classes. And um, I made it my goal to take uh, an exam at the end of that year to prove my level because I really needed something to work towards. And I chose. Yeah. So I feel encouraged and pushed. And yeah. uh, Yeah. So I took a a, a test called DELE, which is El Diplomado de la Lengua Española, right? A, A language test there. And uh, passed a pretty high level at the end. And that just felt so rewarding. Um, I also did a lot of traveling during that year. A lot of solo backpacking travel by myself. Wow. Uh, I I met a wonderful girl from Turkey. Uh, Her name is Nazli. And she was an expert backpacker. And I I remember showing up to the bus station for our first trip to Madrid. We were going to Madrid and I show up with a rolly suitcase, a little rolly suitcase. And she's got this tiny backpack that she's going to live out of for the weekend for four days. And she says, oh, honey, we, we need to work on some things. So she taught me everything that she knew. And I learned how to be a budget uh, traveler to travel with my backpack uh, had no money. So it was a great skill. And it, re- and it really made me appreciate those, uh, the, the, the trips I took that year. Uh, I, I, I journaled extensively during that year and, and I'm actually working on, on a book in, in Spanish about my, the whole process, the whole experience of moving to Barcelona, going through those journals. How amazing. And I am yeah. good for you for having thought about writing down these experiences, because even though, you know, we might cherish the moments, there are other moments that may not seem like big moments, but when we go back and are able to read back, it's those little things that you're like, oh, God, I'm so, I've forgotten about that. But because you wrote it, wrote it down, you're able to recollect, you know, that memory. So yeah, those details, good thinking. Yeah. Those specific Mm -hmm. details. Okay. So I've heard stories before of, of other guests that have been on the show that traveled to Spain in, in the same hopes of, you know, at least becoming immersed in the language with the hopes that they become fluent only to find out, like you had mentioned that they get to school and all the classes are taught in Catalan for instance. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so what was that like for you? Were, was it was it Spanish? Was it Catalan? What were you learning in school? So I went to a language school in Barcelona that did teach Catalan, but their main focus was Spanish, Castilian Spanish. So I was enrolled in all of Castilian uh, Spanish classes. I say Castilian because once I came back to California, I realized how, how different 
my Spanish was than what I was hearing in California. So I'm very specific when I said I learned a Castilian Spanish. Um, and those classes uh, were wonderful. It was a whole mix of reading, writing, listening, speaking, which I think is a great way to build your language altogether. Uh, some people really want to focus just on speaking. And I really feel like you need to build all four pillars at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to your question or your comment about moving to a Spanish speaking country and simply immersing yourself in the language and, and learning that way. It's a very beautiful thought. However, if you really want results, if you really want to see the progress in your language, you need to go with a plan. You need to show up with a plan in terms of what language school am I going to go to? How many hours a week am I going to be studying? Am I going to surround myself with English speakers while I'm here? Am I going to be uh, visiting and finding friends in the expat communities? Or am I just going to focus on finding Spanish speaking friends? Am I going to put myself in uncomfortable situations with locals and natives? Or am I going to choose easier, you know, groups to, to pass, to spend my time with, right? So you need to ask yourself these, these hard questions and go with a plan. Yeah. Where were you practicing once you were, you started to pick up, uh, you know, the language and all of that in school and then you're bringing it out into the community to actually practice. Where did you find yourself most practicing? So that was the beauty of being with a host family because we had dinner together every evening as a family. And it was always interesting, the dynamic and the, the languages we were speaking. So I would speak English to the girls. The girls would speak Catalan to their parents. And the parents would speak Spanish to the whole table, <laughs> uh, just just for for all of us, right? So there was always three languages spinning around around the table. That's great. Um, so that was where I was getting the the exposure, and also um, in the practice. Also in a small Catalan village, everyone knew who I was. They knew I was the American au pair living with this family who was learning Spanish. So if they ever saw me, they would always address me in Spanish. So that is where some of that immersion was helpful to be living with a host family. Um, But I also uh, sought out salsa dancers in the area and I joined a dance school, only Spanish speakers. And I would go out dancing with friends that only spoke Spanish. And I have some embarrassing stories from from those outings as well. <laughs> you must share one at least. Okay. Well, I'll share my favorite. I remember being in a hot Barcelona salsa club. I'm having the time of my life. And I come back from a great dance. I'm on the sideline with some friends. And I yell out at the top of my lungs, Estoy muy caliente. Estoy muy caliente which in Spanish can have a sexual connotation. I mean, yeah, like you're hot. And people were laughing around me. And a a girlfriend of mine pulled me aside and explained what I had just said. And she said, no, in Spanish, we say, tengo calor. (laughs) I have heat. It's a different way to express yourself. So from that day on, I never said the latter. I said, 
tengo calor. So I learned that the hard way. <laughs> I'm sure all was forgiven. Everyone understood. You you were obviously not a local. So <laughs> yeah, so they were like, and, oh, uh, we hear that. We hear that quite often. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And you really just can't take yourself too seriously when right. you're learning a second language, which can be so hard when you're learning a language as an adult mm. uh, to not be able to express yourself at the same level uh, as you can in your first language. And also knowing that you might find yourself in some embarrassing situations. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's how you learn. Like you said, speaking of which actually in terms of learning a language as an adult, Dominique, you eventually come back to the States. Um, and I'd like to point out something that you mentioned earlier and make the connection, which is uh the Spanish that would have been taught at home had the Spanish language continued uh, from your mom's dad's side would have been Puerto Rican Spanish, which even that is very different, right? Than your Californian Spanish, than, you know, Spanish, wherever else, any, you know, Spanish speaking country, like you mentioned earlier, then especially um, your Castilian Spanish that you learned out in Barcelona. So, how was that now once you're coming back? Bring us now to when you're back in the States and what you're thinking in terms of, you know, your newly learned language. Well, I came back feeling so confident and so proud of myself because at that point I was pretty fluent. I came back being able to hold conversations just fine, read, write, uh, listening comprehension was all top notch. But I started spending time with Spanish speakers in Sacramento, and I soon realized that my Spanish was funny. It was different. And down to the some of the conjugations I was using, my use of something called vosotros, which is not used in Latin America, a lot of my vocabulary that could have, could be offensive in some countries. There's a lot of vocabulary that really changes meaning between countries. So I was finding myself in some really uncomfortable situations. And that's just when I realized the true extensiveness and the diversity of the Spanish language between all Latin American countries and Spain and Puerto Rico, for example. All of them have a different, you can call it a dialect, vocabulary. Um, they have different expressions. So I realized uh, I realized that when I when I got home from from Spain and over the years since I haven't really gone back to Spain and I've spent more time in Mexico City uh, I spent I've spent about three to four years living in Mexico City my Spanish has definitely become more Latin American and I've also really focused on making my Spanish a bit more universal I choose words and expressions that are going to be fairly universally understood no matter what country I'm in because I do travel a lot. Any any certain experience that you came across once you were back in the States and in, in California, for example, and you're using the Spanish there that kind of like yeah. a story out there in Spain? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I do have one. I hope it's not too inappropriate, but there is a verb in Spanish um, that in Spain, they use to like take a train or take a bus to take something. I'm going to say it. It's the verb coger, which is a totally normal verb. 
that you would use in Spain. But in most of Latin America, the verb coger is offensive. It means to have sex. I don't know how that happened with the evolution of the language. (laughs) Uh, But in Latin America, they say tomar, right? Tomar el tren. And so just such a simple word that I literally used for everything suddenly became offensive the minute I came back from Spain. And that was shocking for me because I don't speak that way in English. I have a very, I don't, I don't use bad words in in English. So the fact that I was using something that was so offensive in Spanish in my second language, it literally broke my heart. I mean, I felt so embarrassed, Mm -hmm. uh, so ashamed of it. Um, So that's my example (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I you can get into some trouble with just one word, <laughs> one word, but one word all just, over the place. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And as you know, as a as as language professionals, um, we we understand that context is everything, and regionalisms, and you know, all of those things come into play when we are uh, speaking to a certain audience, even in you know, if we're talking about. Uh, in this case, we're talking about uh, Spanish, mm-hmm. um, but even then, understanding that that there is differences and, you know, the context and who the audience is going to be and all of that makes a huge difference. So uh, I can totally relate and I'm sure that our audience can totally understand what it is that we're talking about in terms of one word making a significant difference in the meaning of the message. Absolutely. So, you, I mean, there is like so many things that 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 come to play into a decision that you that you decide to make eventually as an adult when it comes to language. Um, so walk us through a little bit about how you came to the determination that you wanted to to show others what it's like to learn a new language as an adult. When did that come to you, and how did that get started? So it really didn't, uh, my business really didn't develop until 2019 officially. And I think that came from imposter syndrome. I think for a long time, I thought, who would want to learn Spanish from a non-native speaker? You, You read about Spanish tutors and teachers, and they promote being native speaker, native Spanish. But as I dove into language learning and being a teacher, I found out that oftentimes non-native speakers of languages are so much better at dissecting and teaching that language because they went through learning it. And I realized it was my strength. And I realized from just tutoring friends and tutoring on the side that I was really good at it. I was really good at breaking down difficult Uh, cultural topics, grammar topics, in a way that a native English speaker could understand it, because I had to explain those things to myself. And I said, well, I've got a, a line of people who would like to take private lessons with me. I think I'll make this official. So I started La Mariposa Spanish Lessons on the side in 2019, doing private lessons. and. Over the pandemic, that then evolved into an online business, which I started doing full-time. 
from that point forward, I developed courses and programs. And now I do a blend, do a blend of private lessons, courses, programs uh, to share with others the way that I learned Spanish. Basically, taking out all the fluff that you're going to find in your language books and just putting the things in front of you that, that you need to know to communicate the fastest way. What is it that you started seeing uh, when people started coming to you for, for help, you know, in learning the Spanish language as an adult and you mainly teach adults. Is that who you focus on? That's right. Mm -hmm. At first I taught everybody, <laughs> but yeah. I niched down and realized that I really enjoy teaching adults. Um, my students appreciate the structure and the roadmap that I give them. I'm able to tell them, this is your first step. You need to master this first, then you can get to this, then you can get to this. Okay, once we're here, I want you to start incorporating this and this. And it's this roadmap that I basically followed and developed for myself without even knowing. Wow. But it's how I learn Spanish and how I maintain my level even today. And so students appreciate that I have that roadmap for them. They also appreciate that I know what they're going through. Mm -hmm. They appreciate that I understand all the frustrations and I can cry with them and complain with them and help them through the, the tough parts and let them know it's okay. It will come to you more naturally with time. Keep at it. You know, take a break, come back right? Giving them that motivation and being their, their cheerleader. So I think they appreciate that. <laughs> I bet they do. What are those, what are those things that, that you hear the most from adult language learners that are, you know, makes it really difficult to pick up a new language as an adult? I think number one is time. Hmm. Uh, adults are busy. They don't, have time to get up and move to a Spanish-speaking country mm -hmm. and devote four hours a day mm. for an, a year to learn Spanish. But what I promote is doing little spurts, four to six weeks of intense studying, and then taking a break. Four to six weeks of intense studying, taking a break. Because you're going to see the progress faster and you're going to feel that momentum, right? So I think it all comes down to time and ma managing your daily habits with, with, lang with adult language learners. They really struggle with showing up for those 20 minutes every day for the foreseeable future. They struggle with making those systems and those habits because that's what language learning is. It's constant exposure over a long period of time. There's no microwave crock pot method. If you hear that there's a method that says speak Spanish or be fluent in Spanish in 90 days, it's a lie. It takes a lot longer than that. And I think with adult language learners, it's often ingrained in their head that oh, this should be quick. Okay, we're going to do this in three months. And then they realize it's a much longer process. Yes. And so they're they're disappointed when they're not fluent in three months. <laughs> yeah, it's like, 
It's like having abs in 30 days type of. Exactly. (laughs) Right. And the same thing with having abs in 30 days, then you have to maintain your abs. You can't go back to eating Cheetos and not working out. You have to continue working out to maintain your abs. Same things with your Spanish level, if, or any language level, if you don't use it, you lose it. You have to maintain. So developing that daily Spanish habit is so important. Absolutely. Yes, it absolutely takes commitment. And I think that it's interesting that you just pointed out something that maybe a lot of people don't perhaps think about when it comes to uh, learning a new language as an adult. I've not tried it, so I wouldn't know. But the fact that you're pointing it out makes complete sense because I feel that that's something I would struggle with to begin with, which is uh, the time dedication, right? I mean, that, that right there is... It, it takes commitment at that point. If you, the, from the moment you say you want to learn a new language, then really allowing oneself to, to really tailoring a schedule that's going to permit that consistently on a daily basis, however long it's going to take, right? Just having that commitment. It's, I, I feel perhaps like anything else, like when we say I'm determined to lose weight, since we're talking about abs, <laughs> You know, and and making that commitment of working out consistently and creating a routine and a schedule that's going to fit our already established schedules. You know, that I think that definitely I can see how that can be a difficulty for uh, adult language learners. But I I love it. Sorry, go ahead. No, I love that you're using the word commitment because it is a commitment uh, to show up when you don't want to right? Even if you've committed to losing 20 pounds on the days you don't want to work out, if you've committed to it, you show up, right? There's a difference between commitment and motivation. If all we do is wait around to be motivated to do something, that's a losing battle. Commitment though, that's, that's when we show up on the days, even when we don't want to, right? So whether you're committed to losing 20 pounds, if you're committed to being a good spouse, on the bad days you show up because you're not waiting to be motivated to be a good spouse. You're committed to it, right? So I say the same thing with learning another language. You have to show up on on, on those days that you don't really feel like it. Yeah, you don't really feel like it. And I think those strategies work, of course, for any language that one is trying to, to learn. Um, you know, if we're thinking about or even considering uh, learning a new language, these are strategies that can be implemented even for that, you know, and um, for, for any language is what I'm saying. So, um, Dominique, I'm curious, very curious to know what was the first uh, salsa song that you finally were able to understand completely that you were singing before without understanding its lyrics? And were you surprised? <laughs> okay. Um So I would say that the first song that I really understood had to be a Mark Anthony song. Uh, I would probably say, Tu amor me hace bien. Mm. Um, Your love makes me good or feel good, happy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember sitting on the train from the, my little village, my little pueblo on the way to Spanish class after about two, three months. And I would listen to that song every day and I would write out the lyrics 
and bits and pieces started clicking like every other day. Oh, I got that. Okay. And I understood the grammar and the vocabulary. And then one day I understood the whole song and it was so natural and it was such a, it was such a high, it was such an amazing feeling to, and I felt so much more connected to, to that song, even to Mark Anthony, even to this day, if I see Mark Anthony live, like he taught me Spanish and he taught me a lot of Spanish. So there's like that connection. Um, but I was on cloud nine. I was, I was absolutely on cloud nine. And, um, also during that time in Barcelona, I decided not to have a smartphone on purpose. It was 2011, 2012. I could have had a smartphone, but I decided to have no internet, just a flip phone because I wanted to be focused. I I didn't want to be distracted during that year. So that's something to think about as well. And, and well, me sitting on the, on the train, listening to songs on my iPod and, and writing out lyrics by hand. I think I learned so much during that hour and a half every day that I was commuting. I also listened to people around me a lot. I was just more aware. I was so much more present without my smartphone, my little flip phone. Wow. I can <laughs> so, imagine. I mean, yes, they're going back to the commitment part. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that definitely is making a conscious decision on how committed you're going to be in order to make this happen. So absolutely mm-hmm. kudos to you. <laughs> Dominique, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience with regards to language learning and um, specifically when it comes down to language learning for heritage speakers? Is there something that you would like to share with the community? So I think heritage speakers fall everywhere on the spectrum. They fall on the spectrum where they grew up hearing Spanish, but they were never expected to respond. So there's this disconnect between understanding everything, but not being able to communicate. And then we've got all the way on the other end of the spectrum where you maybe spoke Spanish as a toddler and and speak fluently now, but maybe your writing is lacking, or maybe you're not sure if you're speaking more of a Spanglish or not. And my advice to anyone on the spectrum is that you can absolutely uh, perfect and improve. You can absolutely improve your Spanish at any of those levels by approaching it as if you were learning anything else as an adult. So being finding a formalized class or a workbook or something to work through the language in more of a uh with, with more of a, a plan and 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 uh and uh design instead of just picking trying to pick things up here and there. So really coming into the language with a plan and maybe starting from the beginning and learning the language almost from the ground up so that you can fill in those holes and get all those answers, all those questions answered, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I I think heritage speakers don't really know where to start sometimes. Mm -hmm. And they think, what what level am I? And that, that's hard to say what, what level you are, but what you can do is start from the beginning of like a workbook or take a basic Spanish class. And even if you understand a lot, 
you might understand better a grammar structure or something that answers other questions for you and fills in holes because what, what there are are holes in your Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, that's my, that's my advice to heritage speakers. Very well. Thank you so much, Dominique. I think we absolutely learned a lot in terms of learning a new language as an adult. And of course, those difficulties uh, that come when we're trying to learn something at, you know, a later stage in our lives that maybe we want to do it for, you know, as a new hobby or just, you know, to, to have something fun to do, something else to add to our agenda, whatever it may be, the reasons could be a variety, right? Um, but I think that the focus and the strategy could be uh, one and the same. It's is really focusing on dedicating ourselves. How are we going to dedicate the time? Think about all the different strategies that Dominique just shared in terms of, um, you know, just really laying out a plan for us because it does have to be planned. And I think that we don't think about that necessarily um, when we're trying to jump into learning something new. Um, and in this case, learning a new language, we're just thinking we just got to get in there and start doing it. Um, and though we do have to start somewhere, laying out a plan, I'm sure, is much, much more helpful. Anything else that you'd like to share, Dominique? I just encourage you that if you are interested in improving your Spanish or learning Spanish from the ground up, there is a, a space for you, a place for you. There are lots of resources out there and opportunities to to start. It just it, it all begins with you making that choice and taking the first step. Yeah, I think our next class is going to have to be on how we can uh, backpack lightly. (laughs) You got it. I have lots of tips on how to pack light because I've been doing it for many years. (laughs) And off to Barcelona we go as well. Yes. (laughs) Lastly, Dominique, where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? So you can find out more information about my courses and programs at lamariposaspanishlessons.com. Again, lamariposaspanishlessons.com. My Instagram handle is also lamariposaspanishlessons. There is a dot in between each word. Also on my website, I have two free downloads, uh, one for beginners and one for intermediate level students where they are two uh, video webinars where I talk about how I went through the process as a beginner and an intermediate. So all my tips at each stage on how to improve your Spanish. And those are totally free on my website. Sounds wonderful. I'll make sure to link the information in the episode notes for those that are interested in connecting with Dominique and downloading these free resources. Thank you once again, Dominique. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website, brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the connect with me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.